Right. Welcome to this episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling, the author of the book. I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen, the editor of the book. Today we're going to finish our discussion of Chapter 5, talking about is resistance futile? And we've been talking about different examples of resistance and speaking out against the government. And one of the things that I had read this last week in the news was happening in Ireland. I don't know if you've heard this, Peter, that there's been some uh, mostly peaceful but fiery protests, as like CNN reported of uh, down in Kenosha and so forth years ago with rioting. Uh, it, it hasn't been real peaceful, but uh, what's been going on is there was a migrant that had stabbed a number of people and children. And so because it seemed like nothing was being done, the Irish people were protesting, and it got uh, it's gotten out of hand. But uh, do you know who Colin McGregor is, Peter? <laughs> do I? Yeah, he's uh, he's an MMA fighter. Um, yeah, apparently McGregor. he's a uh, you know basic dirt bag dirt bag of a human being, but um, but at oh. least outspoken and vocal about uh, about what he believes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Conor McGregor, uh, he has. Uh, has uh, put out tweets. So this is what he wrote. Uh, that uh, isn't that something the absolute picture of weak and feeble, the most divisive of all is the weak man. One of the most horrific crimes this nation ever seen has occurred. We do not care anymore what you sad cases have got to say. He's talking about the police chief and so forth. In a war, you are nothing. And the reason I share that is because now the the Irish government is looking to prosecute him for mean tweets because they can hurt people's feelings. And in fact, they have uh, they have a specific law. Let me look this up again too. I clicked on this link beforehand, and I could not believe that they actually have this law that you can't uh, you can't give someone anxiety. So I clicked on another link, and it said that. This article says police arrest man for hateful, in quotation marks, social media post because it, and I quote, caused someone anxiety. Mm-hmm. So the difficulty is uh, we need to understand that's in Europe. It's not that far to get that kind of stuff over here. And then mm-hmm. basically what we talk about as Christians that is de- can be deemed hate speech in our culture today. Yeah, and Ireland being part of the uh, United Kingdom um, kind of falls under their, their entire blanket of, of laws. And you would see a, probably a similar thing, um, at least a similar cultural sentiment um, in Canada as well, which is still part of the empire. Um, and to think of that, the, the part that you're... That, um, I think is logically indefensible is that it's it's like a three-step process it's saying your tweet or your you know your words on social media cause anxiety so your words have the result in somebody else's heart or mind or life that they now feel anxious and they are saying that it is blamed on your words and then um and then you come around and get prosecuted for that 
And what it presupposes is that we all have a general sense of what is and is not proper speech and what will or will not cause anxiety in somebody else. Um, but what it ends up doing is it makes the individual responsible for how somebody else reacts. Instead of saying, you know, as hopefully a well-educated or strong-minded individual who is fairly well-grounded in, in logic and, and scripture, um, instead of saying well i can i can analyze that for myself and i can see is this something that is that is well founded or not um conor mcgregor certainly got some people's attention but it's up to you if if the result is that you are feeling anxious about it um then that is a mental health problem on on your side and most most likely a spiritual problem on your side and at the end of the day i can't be responsible for absolutely everything else that somebody else reacts but we can be responsible for what we say i think um you know here here's already the book recommendation for the day is um a book called Nonviolent communication um by marshall rosenberg he's he's dead now you can just but if you just google the term nonviolent communication um it'll take you to his website and what it is is basically a structure for talking um that that doesn't try to invest judgments into into our wording um, and I mean, if you go to his website and check it out, it's fascinating. What he basically did was he took the philosophy of stoicism and merged it together with psychology and came up with a, a structure for how to talk so that we aren't, um, aren't infusing that sort of judgment and loaded language into the way that we talk, which is totally backwards from the culture around us that says, if what you said, if I feel anxiety because I read something that you wrote, therefore the problem is out there. And Rosenberg's point is the problem is over here, and you can analyze that and work that through. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me. Well, and the reason I bring it all up is because uh, if we aren't speaking out as Christians, and this will get into a future chapter on Christian quietism, if we're not speaking out, about these kinds of things now, are we going to speak out later on when these kinds of things become laws in our country? You know, what you were saying too about hate speech and anxiety, uh, I just came from a party of our uh, older members and I was at a table with two guys and one is really into electric vehicles and the other guy is not. And they kept raising their voices. Uh, one was all in on electric. And he's saying to the other guy, well, you're believing old stuff. And the other guy is an engineer, so he knows what he's talking about. And he said, no, we don't have enough electricity, and, and we're giving all our money to China for lithium batteries. And it just kept getting uh, escalating. They're getting raising their voices. And one of them got up to go get some food, and I told the other guy, when he comes back, I'm going to tell him, this is what you were saying about uh, gas-powered vehicles. And then when you get up, I'm going to tell him what you were saying, what he was saying about electric vehicles and trashing them and just poking the bear. Now, obviously, I didn't do it, but I told them both what I would do. Uh, but if that was real, and I really did that, and it was on social media, yeah that poking the bear could be prosecuted. Now, the one guy, he handled it correctly, and he said to the other guy, 
Now, we're not getting mad at each other, right? We're still friends. <laughs> yeah, we're still friends. But that's how real Christians, mature people handle these things. But when we're dealing in, with society, we're not dealing with mature Christians. Uh, on page and, 90 of the book, oh, do you have something on that? Or no? Yeah, and I think together with that, that's where um, like a good understanding of humor can be helpful. Um, where, you know, if you ever read The Motley Fool from like, you know, 20 years ago, it was, uh, it was in, the, in the comics page of the newspaper and talked about stocks. <laughs> it was interesting for like six, six, uh, sixth grade, seventh grade reading for me. But their point was that the jester, um, the fool in the king's court was the only one who could tell the truth. And, uh, and I think it's the, the same thing today with, um, you know, whether you're talking about satire and Mark Twain or the Babylon Bee or something like that, or comedians, you know, comedians, if you want the truth, just go listen to a comedian and they will play it off as a joke. But it's funny because it's true to a degree. Um, and so I think that's where um, learning to, to balance that out and, you know, sometimes a little bit of humor can, can be helpful. <laughs> Yeah, something you just said reminded me of an old bit by Norm MacDonald, who is who has now died. But it was a bit where he was talking about, you know, something like this, where, uh, you know, the worst thing that would that could happen is if, you know, the 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 Muslims bomb New York City, and they kill tens of thousands of people, and those that are inter interviewing him are shaking their head. And, they go, and the worst thing would be of all the hatred that could be directed toward Muslims. And they're all, they're all buying in. And then he makes some smart comment. That was the joke of, no, the worst, the worst thing was not is Islamophobia afterwards. The worst thing is all these people that died, but they didn't even see it. And then just last month after, uh, Hamas, uh, brutally kidnapped and raped and uh, shot and killed civilians, then our own president had said, well, the worst thing, and his speaker said, the worst thing that could happen is now all the Islamophobia. No, the worst thing is what Hamas did, but he, he brought Norm MacDonald's joke to life. Uh, so... It's totally switching switching gears now back page 90 uh here in in wisconsin back w during covid we had uh, our governor governor evers he created like most governors did a state of emergency saying that people had to shut down businesses you had to wear masks all those kinds of things that he had his extraordinary emergency powers but it's only for 60 days. And uh, then I remember having this conversation with another brother pastor when uh, I blatantly said, well, I'm not following it after day 61. He said, well, we should be doing that because we don't know what the, the real, what the laws, what the legislature and the Supreme Court is going to decide on this. Uh, and I, I provide on page 91 what our Supreme Court said on this. But I told this pastor, and I wrote it in the book, is if someone breaks into my house, he's not, a, he's not a robber and a thief when he's arrested and convicted and trial. He's a thief and a robber the moment he breaks in. And I said, Governor Evers, he, Evers on day 61, he was 
wrong. It was illegal. And there, and we don't have to wait for the Supreme Court. And then the pastor later said, well, and if it's a conservative Supreme Court, then, you know, they found it, it was narrow margin, four to three. So, you know, it's still in question. No, it's it was legal and binding. And in my estimation, even if a, a Supreme Court would have found the other way, because Supreme Courts can be wrong too, it was still illegal. And what our legislature should have done, they should have the guts to do this, is they should have stepped in before this and written a law that said you know, it, it's ended or even ended it before day 60. But mm -hmm. they didn't have the guts to do that. Although yeah. in Ohio. And, it, well, and it's kind of interesting that, um, that, that man that you referred to, um, he kind of talked about, well, you know, let's read this in, in a more charitable way or um, trying to inject some something into it other than the clear words of the law. Mm -hmm. Scripturally, I mean, you try to interpret scripture that way and you'll, you'll quickly deviate from everything that the Bible actually says. But when it comes to, you know, outside of our lane, when we're just supposed to look at the same constitution and everybody else then it's like oh a whole totally new uh way to interpret this that is uh that is more compassionate that's my responsibility as a christian to um to put the best construction on this even though it's day 61 and a half yeah um here in ohio um i you know personally there's enough corruption in ohio on both sides of the, of the party line um to make a lot of a lot of movies about and i'm not particularly enthralled with anybody um that's about as political as i would get um as as far as endorsing or condoning or condemning one side or the other um but i i did appreciate that our governor uh governor dewine um he he talked about he gave he gave, gave a couple of addresses um where he spoke you know online and on twitter and news media and everything where he encouraged people to not meet together and, but he didn't write anything that was legally binding. He made a proclamation that was, you know, basically a rah-rah speech, like, you know, please, you know, wear a mask because it's not that hard. Um, and if you can find some way to, um, to conduct your meetings, at least for a little while without meeting together. And he's like, you know, even, even with your churches, you know, you guys do what you're going to do, but in my faith tradition, um, you don't need to be gathered together in person in order to receive the benefits of that, uh, of the, the scriptures that we hold dear or something like that. And um, I appreciated that for what it was because he didn't go so far as to say that churches are not allowed to meet or that there is now going to be a law or martial law or an emergency act or something like that that would forbid um, groups from meeting. Um, there was... I think it was a little bit more binding on um, the small businesses where in, in the in, in a sense the state of ohio kind of operated like an oligarchy and playing favorites um, where the big box stores were able to be open because they had more space in order to space people out and the smaller mom and pop shops were not because they didn't have the space to be able to do what the um what the government was requiring of them um but i think that was a point where where if the governor had said, well, then churches need to do this and it needs to be applied as charitably as possible across the board and talking about our First Amendment rights, 
um, that if Walmart and Costco are still open, um, you know, there's there's no reason why a church can be told, no legal reason why a church can be told that they should be closed. Um, you know, the lawyers might debate, you know, spacing if that was a thing, if that was ever a thing, or if it was based on um, on faulty science from day one. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. That well, we'll get to that I, in another yeah. chapter. But yes, <laughs> another chapter. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, it's a that is it somewhere. Is, it was based on faulty science. So. <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, when it, when it came down to was there wasn't a specific binding law. There was just a good rah-rah speech. Please do this because, you know, we're all in this together, Ohio. And, um, but it, it was up to each individual group to make their own decisions. Yeah. With that, uh, a good friend of mine, a classmate of mine, Pastor Rob Robert, he had shared something with me uh, that he had shared with his people on Facebook three years ago. Uh, He said last week, SCOTUS agreed with the New York City Roman Catholic Church and a group of Jewish synagogues in their lawsuit against Governor Cuomo concerning limiting attendance at worship. This will set the tone across the country. And then he quotes Justice Gorsuch. Uh, It is time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. So that's the that's the key. Like what you're saying is if it's gonna be it's gotta be equal. And it's it ha- mm-hmm. it wasn't equal. Uh there I think so like of, here here in Ohio, um, for example, Ohio People in Ohio don't know how to drive in the snow. Um, and so I tell them they're not actually Midwest. We're just kind of this amorphous middle where we're neither west nor east. Um, like we had a dusting of snow last week and somebody was trying to put chains on their car. Oh it's kind of like that. And so in Ohio, um, the, the governor governor in our county can state, you know, it's a level one snow emergency or a level two or a level three snow emergency. And if they say it's a level three snow emergency, everybody in Wisconsin would be like, this is hilarious. What are you talking about? You know, I, I'm still wearing shorts. Um, but when and, you get to a, and level a sweatshirt, th- we would put a sweatshirt and, on with the shorts. Yeah. 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 Mike Zarling will be out there with, with his bike. Um, <laughs> but when you get and to I, a level three. I would, I would acquiesce and use the fat tire bike. But yes, I would be out there in the snow. Yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> So a level three snow emergency is only absolutely, you know, leave home only if you have to, like it's an emergency. We need the, the roads clear. We don't need people sliding through intersections and uh, and getting stuck in the ditch. We need to be able to get ambulances to these homes where people are dying. Level three. Level one is like, you know, just pay attention because there's snow. Make sure you have milk and bread. Um, and level two is somewhere in between. And so when we talk about snow emergencies, um, that is that is a legally binding thing, I guess, where if you're traveling during a level three and you can't give a reasonable reason why you are traveling, then the officer could write you a ticket um, for being out on the roads during a, during the snowstorm. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is when we're talking about like a level three snow emergency in Ohio, at least at that point, it is it is nearly uniform across the across the board. Um, where it, it would apply the same to, to churches, to liquor stores, to other grocery stores. Um, although grocery stores are still, I think, considered essential and therefore are allowed to be open with the skeleton crew uh, during the level three snow emergency. Um, 
I haven't had to read up on that because winter in Ohio, at least from my experience, is you just wear a coat while you're mowing your lawn. Um, but <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to read up on that and uh, and maybe we'll you know we'll see what so we have a little bit of guidance and think through ahead of time. Like uh, it, it's essential for me to be at church so I can provide a, a service that people can watch while they're sitting on their couches on watching on YouTube at least. Yeah. Uh, just touching on two other governors. Uh, this was brought up to me when I had presented several months ago at the Minnesota uh, St. Croix conference. Pastors had mentioned about their governor, and he was real firm on lockdowns and things like that. And finally, our own church body was going to be writing a, a second letter to him and so forth. But our church body is so small that it wouldn't do much. And this would be like the district president and so forth in Minnesota. But what one pastor told me is that the governor met with the Catholic Church, their leaders, and I think he said that it was supposed to go on for three days. But a day and a half in, the governor ended the meeting and reversed everything and just opened it all up. And that's because he said that the Catholic Church has a lot of power in Minnesota. Well, that just goes to show there's not a whole lot of science involved in what these governors and so forth were doing. If someone puts some political pressure, even from a religious institution, and then now it's open. Uh, and one, one more thing before, and then we can move on to the next part is uh, I recently received a call to be a pastor in Midland, Michigan. And someone recently told me that I could if I take the call, I can give a signed copy of my book to Queen Whitmer, the, the governor of Michigan. Um, I was going to do the same thing if I would have taken the call to California uh, seven months ago. Uh, so, But based on everything we've been talking about, Peter, with these governors and so forth, how might we contribute as Christian citizens? How might we con contribute to problems of the government overreach because we don't know civics, the laws, the constitution, like we should. Yeah, and I think that's, that is kind of the big question. Um, because on the one hand, you want to talk about talking about the secular value of a Christian church, um, talking about something that can be recognized by any person in your community. And uh, I think where you, where you have to start, at least for the Christian, is that that our churches need to obviously be we have a different reason for gathering together than every other evangelical church out there and every roman every other roman catholic church out there that if our doctrine is straight then we recognize that we gather together um, because christ himself is present among his people in word and sacrament um, number one and number two uh, we gather together for the mutual encouragement and um, and sometimes admonition of Christian brothers and sisters. And if we back off from that, <laughs> then we are just um, we've lost our saltiness. Um, then we just say, yeah, we're you know, it's good to be part of something bigger than myself is the would be the general idea. Um, and say that, you know, my my church and my reason for being here, my our reason for existence is no greater or less than any other religious institution. And our starting point needs to be that um, Jesus Christ has raised himself from the dead and is present among his people. And that's 
that's where he has chosen to work. Um, but then I think to follow that up with, if we are also ignorant citizens, that that the way you act in a personal relationship with somebody, you know, you give them the benefit benefit of the doubt. Maybe you read the body language or the the tone of voice incorrectly, or maybe just read them text. You were having a bad day and injected your own anxieties into that text message. There's a hint. Um, then maybe. <laughs> That, that's fine to do on a personal level to say, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt today. I was having a bad day. But when we're talking about laws, when we're talking about applications, there's like three main things that are at work. Um, number one is the constitution itself. The constitution, whether federal constitution um, or state constitution. And then number two are the laws that are written, hopefully in line with that constitution. But then number three, um, is the case law that is relevant to that and this is this is more interesting on a on a national level uh, with our supreme court um but because it's it's not just what does the constitution say but how has this been interpreted by by our supreme court and by our justices and judges over time because it's that case law that will actually provide the precedent for application of that and i think you know at the very least we as citizens aren't doing a service to our community by just giving everybody the benefit of the doubt we're taking you know what is in a personal relationship gives gives somebody the benefit of the doubt and applying it to an, an impersonal relationship with the government who has a responsibility to us and we to them and if we're like well I'll just give them the benefit benefit of the doubt um, because you know maybe it's the red flag or the blue flag or whatever my my affiliation happens to be um, then that's not a good thing because we would stop being a people of laws and words and just the people of, of feelings and, um, and accusations. Yeah. You know, we've seen this before too of maybe it's on a t-shirt or a meme or so forth uh, that uh, Thomas Jefferson did not say, uh, Oh, you know, about the constitution. Oh, that's due tomorrow. You know, you know, like a, a kid with a term paper. No, he, he planned this all out. This is well thought out, one of the best human documents that there is. And we go back to that. But we don't know these things. And so uh, we, it's our own fault when the government takes more power from us uh, that doesn't belong to them because we don't know. And there may be to liken it to cooking that, uh, you know, my daughter, Belle, and I, we are bad at this as far as reading the whole the whole recipe and then following the steps. You know, I was, you know, we were making some uh, apple bread and things like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of, okay, I just dump everything in and then I read it, oh, I was supposed to do these things and that was supposed to go together for 10 minutes. And then later on, I put these things and, you know, hopefully it turns out. Okay. But if I, it's my own fault, if I don't follow the recipe and it's, it's our own fault. If we don't know the recipe of the laws, then we get mm -hmm. what we get. Uh, yeah. We've talked about this a, a little bit before too, Peter, how might we dissuade public and theological debate if we offer a simplistic and cursory understanding of Romans 13? Just submit to the governing authorities, 
and that's it. Oh boy, yeah. That it's been misused and abused throughout throughout history, um, and even in the twentieth century, you know, the big bad, um, you know, history of of Nazi Germany was the prime example of that. Although they weren't the only ones, um, that the government at that time said, "Hey, haven't you read Romans thirteen? That means submit. Just uh, just follow along with everything that that we do." Um, and especially it's it's different and it there are different applications that need to be made given the basis of whatever government structure you are dealing with or living under your responsibilities under a monarch or a dictatorship um, that government is still established by God and the submission to them might look a little bit different than in a participatory um, republic or democracy um, similar to what we have here. And, and so if we just have a kind of light overview of Romans 13, it's very easy to just say, here's the, here's the policy and um, here's what I'm supposed to do. And it ends up being legalism. <laughs> it ends up being just an obsession or um, orientation toward God's law and looking to God's law as just this set of rules for my life. And that's all I need to know. Instead of um, seeing Romans 13 as clarified through faith that the Holy Spirit has given, obviously, um, and and clarified according to the other pertinent passages of Scripture that apply to this, that Romans 13 was misused and abused by uh, the Nazi government, and but it took advantage of a an improper understanding among the people, and you could do that with nearly any any doctrine that when we don't know our doctrine then we'll we don't know what to stand for and yeah as the saying goes if you don't know what to stand for then you'll fall for anything <laughs> yeah and when it's a simplistic view we forget about the nuances of scripture and as lutherans our, our whole thing is that we use scripture to interpret scripture and People aren't doing that when they just say Romans 13. They're not using scripture of, say, Revelation chapter 13. A couple of examples might be, uh, you know, we teach in the Eighth Commandment, you know, you got to be nice to people. You can't call each other names, those kind of things. And if we just do a very simplistic way of teaching that, then it can be confusing to our students when they go, Jesus wasn't very nice to the Pharisees. He's calling them a brood of vipers and all of these kinds of other things. He is really mean to them. How can Jesus be God if he is calling them names like that? And so you have to teach them, Jesus is the son of God. He's perfect. And yet, uh, when it comes to false doctrine, I, I just heard this the other day that, and I agree with this because some I've had someone on Facebook say this about me when I would share like Babylon B articles, you know, mocking people say, pastor, that's not Christian to mock people. No, mocking evil is the right thing to do. You know, we don't want to mock, uh, and besides you got to have fun with people too. And that's that tone. But, but, mocking evil the devil hates being mocked that's the one thing besides jesus name he cannot handle uh or mm -hmm. uh, i was talking to a two parents yesterday we've got a young lady uh with autism that's going to be baptized lord willing tonight 
in our Jesus Cares service, and they are not Christians. They don't appreciate or want their daughter baptized, but she's 30, so they're going to let her do what she wants to do. But just they were asking me on the phone, you know, what is baptism? And understanding there's a lot. I, I can teach a you know, full hour Bible study on baptism, but being able to give them the nuances of what baptism is to touch on your daughter's born in sin. And I know they don't agree with that born in sin. Baptism washes that sin away, but also they were concerned that being a part of the church was going to pull her away from their family and be able. And I said, no, this is what baptism says and baptism brings her into a larger family, not takes her out of your family, but now expands her family. But that's using mm-hmm. the nuances of Scripture that's so often missing when people just say Romans 13. Yeah, and I think a, a good um, analogy by comparison to Romans 13, um, the the idea Romans 13 says submit, and so therefore this is what you should do, um, is you know what you referred to, just this Christian idea that Christians are nice, so be nice. Um, and, and how often is that, you know, what we are telling our children, um, just be nice, um, or that idea of be nice, uh, takes the driver's seat when Jesus says that you should confront sin, or if you forgive anyone their sins, or you don't forgive anyone their sins, they are not forgiven. Um, if you do forgive them, they are forgiven. And it's like, time out, that's not nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it kind of referred to it as a Minnesota nice, because that's where I'd served previously. Um, or it's there in Wisconsin and, um, to a lesser degree out East, I think out East people are like, they won't even give you the time of the day to, you know, do exchange niceties. Um, but there is that idea. I I interrupt. So we were, we were at this Christian friends group, this party I was at for 50 and over. I don't like going to it. The people are really nice, but I don't want to admit that I'm really over 50, but we played this game. You've maybe played this, you know, where it's a white elephant gift or it's presents and they each have a number and you can take a present and unwrap it. And then the number two can either take that, steal that present or, you know, take an an unwrapped present. Have you played that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yep. These people, I was number 21. It took till number 15 till someone stole something else. They said, oh, pastor, stealing's wrong. It's, oh my goodness. So every time I could, I would take something and I would take it from someone that I knew would keep the game going and not just take a, uh, take another present, but Consolation that, that whole, that whole idea of you know, being nice. So anyhow, go on with your yeah. story. Yeah. And that, that idea of being nice is, um, is I think a good analogy because that comes up a, a, a lot more often. Um, than Romans 13 and submission, aside from, you know, when there's a worldwide pandemic. But it's, it's just like this, this law that is just built into Christians, um, that this is the Christian way to do, this is the Christian thing to say, this is the Christian way to act, and so therefore you just have to be nice. And Jesus wants us to love each other and be nice. And um, I think I preached this sermon, I was, uh, to see if I can find it. Um, probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, that on that very topic, that you know, Jesus isn't calling us to be nice. He's calling us to be faithful and to confess our faith. 
And I think when we have a simplistic view of uh, Romans 13 or a simplistic view of God's law that, you know, we will dial it back from love your neighbor as yourself to well, just be nice. It's uh, it's moralism, it's legalism, and it's disgusting. <laughs> but then when you talk about a simplistic view, um, I have a follow up on this one. Simplistic view of Romans 13 and, and just kind of rubber stamp it. This is either yes submission or no submission. I don't have to think about it. Um, there's also a simplistic view of the U.S. Constitution and our, and our court system. Um, that was a, a part of a broader discussion in, um, in our pastor's Facebook group this last week that talked about um, a particular custody case where the, the parents were on different sides of the religious question. And the one parent who is um, likely going to be awarded custody um, doesn't want the children to be attending church with dad. And um, and one of the nice you know nice there's that word again uh, young pastors who hasn't had much much experience with this question especially in our family courts he commented he's like I find it hard to believe that in a country where the freedom of religious expression is enshrined as a constitutional right I find it hard to believe that she can present much of a case here to keep the children away from church hmm. is this really something that is taken seriously in family court or custody battles. And there were about 15 other comments from guys who have um, been in the ministry for, you know, 5, 10, 40 years and um, all basically saying the same thing. Like, this is something that is going to be a real challenge um, and, and to try to keep these children faithful to their Lord when the court is likely not going to um, award in their favor. And so I think together with that, that idea of Romans 13 not being um, not having a simplistic view of Romans 13 goes hand in hand with not having a simplistic view of our constitution of actual law and then case law so that we aren't deceived and, and surprised like oh I thought you know I thought this would be the case well um, there's a whole lot more at stake here and there's a whole lot more nuance involved and the courts don't think that this is a simplistic idea and so christians who have the truth of god's word shouldn't look at this with just the simplistic oh roman 13 is the answer to everything yeah yeah and in response to that young pastor i think of uh, a police detective that we used to have in our congregation and i would talk to him about different things and he would just shake his head real gently and go pastor you are so naive because I am looking at the good and the best in people. He's seeing people at the worst. Uh, so he's seeing the reality. And I think that's where a lot of us as pastors are, that we're just kind of naive and we tr we naively think and trust that those in the government are going to think like we do. <laughs> no, they're not, especially when Scripture says, and this is where we as Lutherans are bringing the rest of Scripture in, where Scripture says the kings of the earth oppose the anointed one, where it says that uh, the the kings, the governments, and so forth are going to be the beast out of the sea serving the great dragon of the devil. And that we as pastors, I challenge at page 93, that we should be calling this out. Uh, and that's not going to sound ni nice. And yet, I think Luther agrees with us because I quote him. He says, uh, the pastor should 
have something to say to the government, quote, pastors should serve as the club that lays next to the dog. And in that analogy, the, the government is the dog. Now, they may have beaten their dogs back in Luther's day. We don't beat our dogs now. But the point is that we are to use the club, not a physical club going against the government, but we should use the club of our, our tongues and then speak out when we see that there is evil and wrong in our government. Yeah, definitely. And because it's not just um, in the office of pastor, but it also it also then, you know, from there kind of gets spread out among the vocations of the Christians who listen. That that obviously you have a responsibility as a pastor, even if nobody else follows along with it. But also you have a responsibility to help these Christians discern how they can how they can serve God with their lives in a difficult, um, difficult scenario that has a lot of nuance. And, um, and that's where like, whenever we're talking about pastoral theology, practical questions, it's always the details that matter. And, and we, we say that, <laughs> like you're going through school and you're talking through different scenarios as you're, you're, you're teaching pastoral theology. And it's like, okay, well, this person is in a coma. Um, what do you do if, if this is the case or if that is the case or the family wants to pull the plug? Talking through some of these different scenarios, but they just get, they just kept growing because it's like, well, what are the, what are the rest of the details? And the details always matter. And if we just say, well, the details always matter, but Romans 13 is the, the beginning and, and final answer on all government questions, then that's it. Yeah, and that's how I begin the book with questions of casuistry, those difficult questions that you and I at a pastor circuit meeting, a small setting of pastors, when we come together and discuss things, and you and I might not, might come down on different ways of handling a situation, but we talk it out and so forth. Uh, because if, even though we're using the same norm and foundation of scripture, the application may be different. It's the same way when it comes to the application of our lives as Christian citizens. And like I said before, we're too naive as citizens, as Christians, as pastors, when we don't think that there's multiple ways to apply scripture in different settings. And then with that, to understand that as Christian citizens, we have to be the ones who are going to speak up to the government because unbelievers won't. There, I think, again, pastors will think, well, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, maybe as Christian citizens, we're not going to say anything because it's not going to sound nice. <laughs> so the unbelievers can do it, except what does what Revelation 13 say? The unbelievers are joining with the government because they are worshiping the beast. And and then the unbelievers with the pagan church, the beast out of the earth, they're joining together with the beast out of the sea to make them worship the devil. So if we, if we wait for the unbelievers to do it, they're not going to do it. It has to be, if anyone's going to speak up against government overreach, it has to be Christian citizens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where um, the political philosophy of libertarianism can be at least helpful. You know, I prefer that um, in, in the 
in the sense that libertarianism says um you do what you're going to do i'll do what i'm going to do and as long as what you're doing doesn't affect what i'm doing then then we're okay you know no no aggression toward each other that sort of a thing um politically i think that that has some value uh some value but that can't be a christian stance um, because the christian can't simply just sit back and say well i see my neighbor um, his life is careening toward toward the ditch um, he is just going to crash and burn here, and it's going to be terrible. But you know, it's not my circus, not my monkeys, and um, and it's not affecting me personally, and so therefore I don't have a responsibility to him. Well, that is the priest and the Levite walking by on the other side. <laughs> that we Christians, um, we have a responsibility, yes, to speak up, and we have a responsibility, especially to speak up for those who are are unable to speak for themselves or who have been so trapped in a sin that they that they don't know right from wrong anymore um that that is our responsibility it's our duty of love and we don't want to just dismiss that and say well you know it doesn't affect me personally um and they as long as they just do their thing and keep it over there then i'll just do my thing and keep it over here like number one that's not christian love and number two, if you look at history, it doesn't just stay over there. <laughs> How, how's that go? They, they came for they came for person A and I wasn't them, so I didn't speak up. They came for person B and I wasn't them, I didn't speak up. And finally, they came for me and I was the only one left and there's no one to speak up for me. Yep. Yeah, and that'll get to two chapters from now, Christian quietism. And like you were saying, Peter, about say something wrapping it full circle with what we began with, uh, with what's going on in Ireland with uh, that you can be prosecuted for memes and gifts and things like that, which is already happening. Right? Yeah. It's a gif. I, I said, yeah. Jeff. All right, go ahead. It's like the peanut butter. That's a kind of peanut butter. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> uh, All right. Anyhow. Sorry. Ireland, Ireland and hate speech and yeah, social media and memes. That's and right. Yeah. Gifts but and GIFs. It, now they said that, that, that has happened here in America with the last election where a, a Republican, just a regular citizen, put out on Twitter, back before it was X, put it on Twitter of saying uh, that Republicans, your vote date is Tuesday, Democrats, your vote day is Wednesday. Well, it's an obvious joke. And people on the left have used that joke before. But he, he received like, eight or nine months in jail because of it. So these kinds of things are going to happen because they've already happened. And I bring it up because we do need to say something. And because we didn't, haven't had a movie reference yet in this episode, the, the reference would be Minority Report. It's an older movie by Tom Cruise where, you, where he's a detective and he is finding people guilty using a computer program, an AI program, before they uh, before they committed the crime. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, that's uh, that was happening back in that movie. And it's it's we're in danger of that now. Uh, last thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you to finish up with this one, Peter. Is resistance futile? Using that Star Star Trek question, is resistance futile? I would say no, because God has given us the government as his servant to curb our sinful nature, to keep us from anarchy. But 
we are called upon by God as citizens to curb the sinful natures of those within the government, to keep each other in our lanes. The government mm -hmm. keeps us in our lane. We keep the government in their lane. And sometimes the way that we need to do that is to resist. Sometimes the government needs to keep us in our lane by creating new laws or using those laws to come down on us. And the same way that we use those same laws, or it might be that we have to resist laws in order to correct the government and keep them in their lane and keep them, Lord willing, as God's servant when they, we see them start veering off to become Satan's servant. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, and that generally speaking, I'll come at it from the other direction, that thinking about this you know, resistance to something within the government, that it starts with your Christian confession of faith. And that if, if you, you know, consider the count the cost ahead of time and you consider what is the cost of my confession of faith right here it, it maybe it's just um you know something of the mandates that any of the governors imposed on their on their states and that could be debated in in human reason um but what it comes down to for me at least is what is my confession of faith and if my if i'm convinced from scripture and you know from I'm willing to be corrected, obviously, um, but if I'm convinced from Scripture that this is part of my confession of faith and this is my responsibility as a Christian and as a citizen, then it doesn't matter what the effect is. Um, even if I'm the only person standing up for something, okay, well, then that's all right. Um, it's kind of like, kind of like when Einstein. Um, this would have been like the late '30s, I think, um, before the atom bomb was finally developed. And Einstein uh, was told, you know, there was a group of 500 scientists who all signed a paper disproving your your thesis, your theorem. And uh, and his response was, well, if it was actually wrong, it wouldn't take 500 to, to prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and that's kind of where I end up, that if something is right, then it's worth standing up for. Um, and if God wants to use resistance and or you know the the freedom of speech and the public square and public discourse that we have here if he wants to use that to preserve um, some aspects of our community our relationship our country our citizenship um, all within the the left-hand kingdom of his well that's his business um, but it's like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego our God is able to is to save us from the fiery furnace but even if he doesn't our Christian confession still stands and so we're gonna be standing all right, very good. So we did get through the whole chapter today, Peter. We finished what? it. <laughs> so so next week we're going to pick it up with spiritual warfare. And next week I'm also going to share a quotation. Uh, one of my members shared this with me at the party I was just at, so I didn't get a chance to look at it. But he had said that resisting the dragon's beast was mentioned in the Lutheran Science Institute journal, their fall issue. So listeners, you can go find that. It's toward the end of it. And I, like I said, I, I'll read, read it and then share something from that next week as well. So we look forward to talking about the spiritual warfare we're in.